Um, so I think it adds, it makes her really a tragic character in the sense that she's forced to sacrifice as the youngest to keep the rest of her family afloat and rich. And she has nothing to gain really from it besides, I guess, a bear? I guess if she can bear with it, it'll be all right. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to pause so we can take a moment to think about what you just said. Welcome back to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your animal companions, Fox and Sparrow. We're back, baby. Time to get my podcast face on. We are so excited to be back after a small hibernation. During our time apart, we hope everyone took some time to reset and get excited for a new year of stories. Oh uh, yeah, I'm really excited. It's great to be back recording this in the forest with you. Fox, I missed you. I missed you too. It was a long, cold winter. And now it's just a cold winter. Still a cold winter. We're just not hibernating anymore, but I, I could use a few more weeks. Mm. I wish people could hibernate like animals do. Ugh, it's so good. They don't know what they're missing. <laughs> Jumping back in, our story for today is a bit more obscure, having been collected by Peter Christian Abortson and Jorgen Moe for their book on Norse fairy tales. While reading this fairy tale, I recognized it almost immediately from its contemporary adaptation, the wildly popular Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Maas. You'll know what we're talking about once we get into the story. It might not be a Court of Thorns and Roses, but this is certainly our take on East of the Sun and West of the Moon. Once upon a time, there was a very poor man who did not have enough to feed his rather large family. Each of his children were very beautiful, except, of course, the youngest, who was the most beautiful of them all. Now, we're going to play the game. Can you spot our protagonist? Well, geez, Mm -hmm. Sparrow, can I take the most beautiful child for 500? You can, and you would be correct. Ding, 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 ding. ding. Fox, you will be walking away with 500 points and some tidbits. Oh, I wanted the new car, please. (laughs) Well, you'll have to keep playing our game to find out if you'll win that car. (laughs) Do foxes drive? This fox drives. So this fairy tale does what lots of other fairy tales do, which is featuring many children, but elevating the protagonist in a way that is different from the others. Kind of like having highlighted arrows saying, this is the one we're going to focus on. It's either done by making them more beautiful and therefore likely to be resented by their siblings or step-siblings, or by making them smarter so they can outwit the villain in the end. In this case, her beauty is what draws the animal bridegroom to her later on. So it's what's going to be kind of a negative thing as opposed to a positive thing, because if she wasn't as beautiful, maybe she would have not been picked for this quest or for this story. And that's what I tell myself when I look in the mirror every day. You're just jealous you're not a youngest sibling, because the youngest siblings always seem to have it like going on for them in these stories. Because I feel like the youngest is still like at the age of childhood and adolescence, and they're trying to pass into adulthood, whereas if you have an older child, they've already passed that kind of stage because they've been taking care of the younger child to some degree or something like that. Whereas if you're younger, you're still kind of a child and to your family, you're definitely seen as a child. Whereas to the rest of the world, you might be seen as an adult or approaching adulthood. And so with these stories of coming of age, you literally need someone who is going to be coming of age. It's true. I think there's been one or two instances where I've seen like the eldest child is the one that's the most important. But like, Middle children, I'm so sorry for anyone who's a middle child, but apparently you never go on a quest because I've never seen the middle child be the one who's like, ah, yes, I am the third child <laughs> uh, of like a family of five, but I'm the one ready to go on this quest because no one can like just clearly say, yes, the, the third one born out of the five children. Yeah, that's our special one. <gasps> oh, 12 dancing princesses. Isn't she like the middle really? child, like the protagonist? Isn't she a middle child and not like the oldest or the youngest? It's been some time since I've covered that one. We'll have to do that one real soon because that actually would break everything I understood about fairy tales. It's always been the youngest child, very sometimes the oldest. I've never seen the middle child come up on top. Well, I'm only, <laughs> this is only coming up because of Barbie and the 12 Dancing Princesses. <laughs> 
Because I remember when I was younger, I felt really yeah. bad for her older sisters and for her, like, because I was like, well, Barbie's a middle child. Why does she get to be the one with all the answers and the older children just have to go along with her? If I was an older child, I wouldn't want to do what my, what my middle sibling wants to do. I'd be like, no, we're doing it my way because I'm older. So I remember always thinking that dynamic was weird because as a middle child, you know, her say should have not been taken into account, but it was because, you know, she's Barbie. And so that's where my knowledge of Barbie and the 12 Dancing Princess is coming off of. Well, I feel like middle child should also be the most equipped because they're like in between the, the youngest. So like they've got the youth factor going for them, but they're also wiser than their stupid youngest sibling. They should be the most equipped to handle these journeys, yet they're always on the sidelines for some reason. Yeah, and I think recently Disney's Encanto does a really good job of having that middle child come into light where she's, Mm -hmm. you know, not the middle child of her family, but she's the middle child of her extended family. And so she's kind of forgotten. There's there's obviously expectations on her like everyone else. Mm -hmm. But because her performance, you know, with the door, spoilers, didn't go as planned. I'll leave it at that. Mm Mm-hmm. That leads her to kind of be the forgotten middle child, whereas the younger one, when it's his turn to do the door magic, there are a lot of expectations because he might be the last one for a while. And so the younger children and the older children get kind of a shining spotlight, whereas her room is the nursery. So if if that doesn't <laughs> highlight middle child problems, <laughs> I don't know what does. Oh my gosh. It's so relatable. I love so much how she takes that all in stride. But to be technical within her immediate family, she's still the youngest. So, you know, still got that going for her. I really hope they get her a new room. She doesn't have to keep living in the freaking nursery. That was my issue. That was my issue at the very end of the movie. I was like, okay, but I know like she has the door to the house. But I'm like, does she get her own room now? So those are our thoughts on Encanto. And I think that's a really good point. 12 Dancing Princesses and Encanto also do address the middle child. Sometimes the middle child gets it, but let's be real. The youngest is almost always the special one in this case. So good job. Good job pointing that out. You take your 500 points and we'll keep going through this. Okay. (laughs) One stormy Thursday evening, there was a knock on the door. The father opened it up and found a great white bear. Good evening to you said the white bear. Same to you, said the man. Will you give me your youngest daughter? If you will, I will make you as rich as you are now poor, said the bear. Now, I'm not gonna lie, this last phrase makes very little sense to me. I'll make you as rich as you are now poor. When I hear that, I kind of think, you're gonna make him as rich as he is now poor, Like, rich is like a sliding scale. So technically, you could kind of say he's rich in comparison to someone else who doesn't maybe have children. So when I heard this, I was like, so he's going to give him nothing. (laughs) Nothing's going to change because it's a sliding scale. How do you know? Like, help me out here. How you know. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is is how you know you've read a lot of fairy tales because you're instantly trying to pick apart what what the bear is trying to do because you're like, there's something wrong here. This isn't just like a very simple like, oh, I'll just make you rich. It's the phrasing of the way he says it that you're now like, hmm, is this a loophole he's trying to find? Like when I read this, I was like, okay, the bear's freaking cursing this family somehow. Like this is not legit. (laughs) What is happening? Yeah, and that's actually fair because when you read a lot of fairy tale books or when you watch a lot of Disney movies or you read a lot of folk tales, the person or like the villain, I guess, is always trying to get away with some kind of tongue twister or some kind of riddle or just the wording of how Mm -hmm. they say something. They're trying to put in a clause that, you know, they could then go back and be like, well, you agreed to this. And you thought it meant this, but it actually meant this. Uh, Just like, you know, lawyers do, I guess. So I understand where you're coming from, but I'm thinking that because this man is so obviously very, very poor, the bear is is just insinuating that like, hey, you're filthy, stinking poor right now. I'm going to make you filthy, stinking rich. That was kind of what I thought, like just as how poor he is now. Like he's in complete poverty. And so he's going to make him as rich so make him, like, more rich than he is now, obviously, but to the He's same gonna degree. He's going to invert his, like, money status. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. So he's going to take away the poor <laughs> stats and add the stats to the money stats. So he has a positive um, 
modifier. <laughs> so if you if the max percentage of wealth you can have is a hundred percent, and he's currently at five percent, he's gonna be like ninety five percent like wealthy. I don't know. Yeah, I think it, I think it's just it's. I don't think the bear has any you know bad intentions here as much as a bear can have bad intentions. He seems very polite. For wanting his daughter. I mean, he he does seem very polite. He knocked. He said good morning. Um, he's not just. Good evening. And plus, I have no doubt that if this bear wanted to, the bear could a hundred percent just kidnap this girl, and then this would be a completely different trope. But in this case, he's asking. I think the other thing to keep in mind too is. The bear is described as a great white bear, and white is normally associated with divinity. So I think when they talk about it being like kind of the white bear, like almost like a polar bear, I imagine, mm-hmm. it's probably meant to symbolize that this is a good bear. Well, we shall see. Either way, the man interprets this phrase to mean that the bear will make him very, very rich, like you were saying, Fox. And the man really liked this idea of being rich. like. He was into that. But he told the bear that his daughter would need to agree to this deal. Unsurprisingly, the daughter was not thrilled with the idea of being sold to a random bear. So naturally, instead of listening to his beloved daughter and telling the bear that she said no, the man told the bear to come back on the following Thursday for their answer. Like, why bother asking your daughter at all if you weren't going to honor her opinion anyways? <laughs> the sad reality is that every daughter of a poor family must make themselves useful in order to secure their own wealth. And traditionally, the best way to do that was to secure yourself in marriage to someone who is wealthier or had was a landowner or some, uh, some other things so you can bring wealth back into your family, but also for yourself. The father here does make an attempt at convincing her which adds, I think, the very important trope of sacrifice to this story. Because there are two other ways this could have gone. The bear could have just kidnapped her. In that case, she would have been a victim of his will and his intentions. So by asking for her hand, he's already setting her up as kind of a heroine. So she has to do something um, on her own will. And then the second part is her father isn't just giving her up. He's not saying like, oh, take my daughter, give me your money. He's saying, okay, it's going to be up to her. So he's leaving it up to her to make the sacrifice for her family. And that kind of makes her a tragic figure, I think, because she is, for all intents and purposes, going to go live with a bear. She doesn't know if this bear is going to eat her, what it's going to do with her. All she knows is that by sacrificing herself, she's going to end up with her family being rich. And for her, that's enough Mm. because she's guaranteeing their future without her own guarantee which is a bit different from the way it's usually done because when you marry rich, you're obviously, you are also benefiting from it. But here, she has nothing to benefit, really. Um, so I think it adds, it makes her really a tragic character in this sense that she's forced to sacrifice as the youngest to keep the rest of her family afloat and rich. And she has nothing to gain, really, from it besides, I guess, a bear? I guess if she can bear with it, it'll be all right. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to pause so we can take a moment to think about what you just said. Another thing is that the father does tell the bear to come back on a Thursday, which is traditionally Thor's day, which is where Thursday comes from. And Thor, as we all know from Marvel, is the god of thunder. So the father could have chosen this day for a variety of reasons, one being that Thor was known as defender of mankind, and the father could have hoped that if the creature was evil... He would have refused to come on a day that was dedicated to a god that protected humans. Another could just be that it was a week from now and the, and the guy was like, I'll wear her down, don't worry. I love in fairy tales because they're always like, come back in three days time when the sun kind of just rises into the sky. Like it's something poetic. He's like, can you come next Thursday? <laughs> let me just check my schedule. <laughs> I, I, I gotta let you know, I have yoga in the afternoon but i'm totally free in the evening but that's why i thought it was important to make a comment about thursday because usually fairy tales don't have specific days they don't say you know sunday monday tuesday wednesday thursday they just say you know in three days time in a fortnight they give kind of these vague um kind of these vague dates that can be translated to different languages i guess or different time scales so let's say for example if Thursday wasn't the name of the word that we had now. 
and he said come back on Thursday we'd be like oh what day is that so we'd have to look it up but I think here it's just it's a very it comes off as funny because it's comedic because we're like oh an actual yeah. date really January 24th <laughs> the Thursday that's not a Thursday but you know just it seems weird to give an exact date and time that's not either some kind of riddle or rhyme because we expect that we expect the whole oh when the sun is at its highest or on the day of the solstice yes when that flower blooms, like <laughs> monkey feathers, it's never just can I schedule you in between five and seven on next Thursday? Mm-hmm. It just seems so okay. exact. It's weird. I kind of love that too. It's just this guy is paying attention to the calendar. <laughs> With that all scheduled, the father continued to try and persuade his daughter to agree to this, telling her all the riches the family would have and. How well off she herself would be. Eventually, the daughter agreed, and she proceeded to pack up the few belongings that she possessed. And the following Thursday evening, the white bear appeared again as promised. The youngest daughter got on the great bear's back with the bundle of her belongings, and off they went. After a while, the bear asked the girl, Are you afraid? No, she wasn't. They traveled a long, long way until they came to a steep cliff. The bear knocked on it, and a door opened into a grand castle with lots of rooms lit up, gleaming in gold and silver. Then the bear gave her a silver bell and told her if she wanted anything, she needed only to ring it very enchanting (laughs) so her castle is full of dancing and singing objects that could give her some advice and maybe a round of be our guest be our guest be our guest put our service to the test and i'm sure they all had french accents (laughs) (laughs) yes in nordic in sorry in norway they had their exact (laughs) there's no denying there's tons of beauty and the beast references here so oh yeah don't think we really need to get into it that much, but there are very, very similar things to Beauty and the Beast here. Obviously, there's lots of differences, but this is the part of the story where that really does come into full force. You can see those similarities. Uh, the girl need to be with the monster. Oh. oh, no. But let's be real. We all love this story of Stockholm Syndrome. We do. You can tell just by how YA novels have recently shifted into just being kidnapped or having to be you know, the prisoner of some kind of weird animal bridegroom. It's it's kind of messed up, but apparently this is this is how we how we are. <laughs> <laughs> um you just you can't think too hard about it, apparently. But it also shows that this has always been a thing. Like we've always been interested in this idea of like, could you love someone if you were forced to be with them even if they were a monster? Well I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that these stories were written in a time when arranged marriages might have been kind of prevalent so that they was a kind of story yeah. that was about maybe the benefit or the rewards you could get for sticking through an arranged marriage. So on the surface, it seems like it's a it's a horrible thing that's just happened. She's been carried off by this great white bear and she knows nothing about him, but he treats her well. He you know has an entire castle full of gold that's at her disposal. And so what she thought was a sacrifice and a punishment is actually a reward. So it could be something along the lines of, listen, arranged marriage isn't great, but when it works out and you persevere, it works and you'll end up rewarded. So it might be one of those kind of stories where they're trying to, not really the moral tale of it because there isn't really a moral here, but if you believe in the person you got your arranged marriage with or, you know, who carried you away, Mm -hmm. that you could have happiness with that person beyond what you thought possible. Yeah. So, like, it might have been more relatable at the time, but we still seem to enjoy these stories. But, I mean, we both enjoyed reading this, and we're both now talking about it. So, clearly, we both enjoyed this story. Listen, if a great white bear wants to take me away and give me a castle to live in with a little silver bell that, you know, has my every need, I'm not going to complain. You know, I always thought, you know, Beauty and the Beast, he gives her an entire library. I would be so happy yeah like, this is this is fine no taxes to worry about nothing to you know no job i just get to live in this castle forever and read and you know eat and that might be fun i mean obviously at some point i get really lonely but in the beginning it'd be great 
this is the thing that also confused me. At, like, at least when I was watching Beauty and the Beast as a kid. Maybe she's there for two weeks and she's already freaking out. Like, I understand how long she's been there. I don't know. I think I would have lasted longer than Belle would have. I think I would have. I mean, the issue is that she had a very sick old father. So she, she can't just you know, relax and read books and drink tea all day because she has that in the back of her mind. I feel like if her dad was with her in the castle, that would have been enough to keep her happy for a lot longer because her biggest concern was her father at that point. And so had the beast just brought her father to the castle as well, that would have fixed the problem because mm-hmm. they were outcasts in town anyway. That's true. On another note, for the rest of the story, the girl... Like, our main protagonist is referred to as the girl. Can we give her a name? I, I'm really tired of just calling her the girl <laughs> and the daughter. Can we give her a name? Do something a bit different here. Let's call her... A good Norse name. We should call um, her Thor daughter. Thor daughter? Thor daughter. But she's not, she's not a daughter of Thor. No, but she got sold on a Thursday, which was Thor's day. All right. From this point forward, our protagonist is named Thor daughter. I love it. All right, we're all good with that? Yeah, Thor daughter and the great white bear. Now this feels like an even match between the great white bear and Thor daughter. It does, and it you know, makes her, gives her a little bit more oomph. I don't like this tradition of not really naming characters. I know where it comes from because in the oral tradition, you know, names change and all of that, so it's easier to say the girl or the boy. Yeah. But I like it when they have some kind of name to tie up their identity. All right, we will name her Thor daughter. Because someone has to name her. (laughs) All right. After Thor daughter had eaten, she felt very sleepy and ready for bed. And I can't blame her. That was a long journey. So she rang the silver bell and she suddenly found herself in a luxurious bedroom with silver pillows and gold trim. After she had gone to bed and turned out the light, a man came and lay alongside her. Now. We know this was actually the white bear. He would simply cast his pelt off at night when he slept. But she didn't know that. It was too dark at night and he always left before dawn. But apparently she never talked to him about it. Communication. Real problem between bears. First thing I would be uh, going up to the next thing going, So, hey, um, not sure if you're aware, Mr. Bear, but someone was in my bed last night. And it kind of freaked me the heck out. It's like, aren't you supposed to be protecting me from this kind of stuff? Because Yo, weird. Yeah. I thought you were my bodyguard, girl. <laughs> I'm not this beautiful for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually something that comes up quite a lot because of the popular Greek myth of Psyche and Cupid, or Psyche and Eros, where the girl Psyche, you know, she's spirited away by Eros and he lies with her only at night to prevent her from seeing his godly form. Oh, no. So... People do ask, like, why don't they talk? It is because they're having adult sleepover activities. So sometimes, you know, there's no time for talking. But also, it might just be because she's content in the way that things are at the moment. And with the animal bridegroom really being a cursed man, it's kind of common, I guess, in these kind of things. So as a reader, we know, okay, so based on being the Beast, the Frog Prince, this person that's lying with her is going to be the enchanted creature from the beginning. And it does kind of do two things, I think, for me personally. It gives us the kind of beastly, aggressive type in the mornings where he's a bear or a beast or whatever else he is. But then in the evenings, he gets a chance to be that prince charming and that romantic figure that we want. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. he can't ruin it by speaking. So it's kind of a win-win, because imagine if, like, you know... The bear can't really... Well, the bear is super nice. He knocks on doors. He asks if you're afraid. All of that. And then imagine if, as a human, he had a weird voice or something. That'd be weird. That'd be awkward. The perception's different between the two. Okay. Well, I mean, how many people don't like the way the the beast looks when he's in human form? So many people prefer the beast in the beast form. It's kind of the same thing. (laughs) I'd still like confirmation to know, like, what the heck has happened. Some of us like to live in mystery. (laughs) Okay. I mean, some mystery is fine, but for something like that, that'd be a big enough thing going on in my life. Also, what else is going on in my (laughs) life? I would definitely want to be understanding what's happening. (laughs) 
I'd be bored, to be quite honest. Yeah, I'd be like, hi, so I spend all day by myself. You want to talk about something? How's your day? Who are you? Where are you from? How's your day? Something tells me she didn't have the internet at that point, so I would imagine she's bored. Yeah. What a great time to talk about something, though. Someone comes to bed and you're like, so, what's up? Like, does she not see even the bear during the day just to be asking him? I don't know. It doesn't seem like she actually really sees him. Maybe sometimes, but maybe he's off doing bear things, and so she doesn't really get to see him. It doesn't seem like they do much communication either way. Nothing can go wrong if there's no communication, right? No, nothing. So after a while of living in a magical castle where all her needs are met, Thordaughter becomes very sad and lonely. She tells the white bear that she misses her family, and he tells her that it can be arranged so that she can see them, but she must promise him not to talk privately with her mother, or else she'll bring bad luck to both of them. So they do talk sometimes, it seems. <laughs> but of course, when she visits her family in their grand new home, immediately her mother corners her and insists she tells her everything. The daughter tries to keep her promise, but eventually she spills the beans. The mother fears that the man who sleeps alongside her is actually a troll. So she gives her daughter a candle, which she will use at night to see the man. All right, now we're getting to some sneaky, sneaky business. <laughs> her mother's concerns are actually quite legitimate, considering that Scandinavian trolls do turn into stone during the day and are only active at night. So the mother has a very, very valid right to think that, okay, this weird man that only shows up at night and disappears in the morning must be a troll. We do talk about Scandinavian trolls quite extensively in our Billy Goats Gruff episode, so be sure to check out Trolls v. Goats, one of our favorite episodes. The fun one. Check it out. It's also... Billy Goats Gruff is also by the same people who wrote this one as well, so you can see how they're all close together like that. <laughs> you can see the transition from goats the and... The transition. No, the transition, sorry. That's the wrong word. Well, goats are like Thor's animal, right? Yeah, because he has two goats that pull his carriage, I think, and then he eats them and they regenerate and then he uses them again. Whoa. Thor is wild. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I've heard that several times in my life, but every time I hear that, it's as if I'm hearing it for the first time and I'm like, what the heck? It's because it's just a random <laughs> fact that I see. I think everyone kind of knows about it and everyone brings it up because it's just like, hey... Did you know that Thor has these two goats that pull his, you know, his chariot and then he eats them and then they regenerate and then he eats them again. It's just like a, a lifelong cycle. I'm just imagining Chris Hemsworth sitting down eating one of those goats. And then he goes, another. Well, I mean. But not him dressed up as Thor, just Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> just like at his home, like all normal, but just eating Oh, Norse mythology cool. itself is really crazy. I mean, I remember reading I um, the Loki myths where he turns into a horse, a female horse, then gives birth to a baby horse, and it was just wild. <laughs> oh, they're so good. We gotta cover more of those. I think we should. Hmm, maybe that's something we'll do in the future. Who knows? <laughs> hmm, hmm, hmm. Anyways. <laughs> The next night, when Thordaughter was back in the White Bear's castle, the man appeared as usual. The girl carefully lights the candle and sees the man is actually a handsome prince. Now, how she's able to identify this man as a prince is beyond me, but sure enough, she immediately falls in love with him. You can now scratch off Handsome Prince and Love at First Sight boxes on your bingo cards. Yes, I needed those ones. She suddenly feels a great desire to kiss him. But when she leans in for the kiss, she accidentally lets three drops of hot tallow drip onto his shirt, and he immediately wakes up. It's at this point the prince provides some much-needed context. As it turns out, the prince's stepmother had bewitched him to be a bear by day and a man by night. Which honestly sounds like a terrible tagline for a 70s superhero named Bear Man. <laughs> I would read it. Fighting crime at Let's night. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, 
just wait for his crossover with Batman. <laughs> Either way, the prince continues. If the girl could have held out a year, he would have been free. But now, all ties between them are broken, and he must leave her. He now has to marry his stepmother's daughter, who has a nose three yards long. Is it Pinocchio? <laughs> Is that who he's marrying? Maybe. Or maybe it's just the, the stepmother had to curse him in order to get someone to marry her daughter. Ouch. Unless the daughter was also cursed by someone else, and now he has to deal with her cursing him to get back at someone else who cursed her daughter. It could just be one never-ending, just long line of curses. But overall, I think this part of the story is the same as it is in Psyche and Cupid, because they focus on the consequences of curiosity, and specifically, it's female curiosity. Tales like Bluebeard also bring up the idea of maintaining a perfect life as long as you pretend there aren't dead bodies in your basement. In these stories, the heroine is supposed to just go along with her husband's instructions, and when she doesn't, she has ruined, air quotes, everything. From a feminist analysis perspective, the punishment and blame seems ridiculous to be placed on her because she's just trying to survive and take things one day at a time, really. But the concern that her mother has for her is very genuine. I mean, her mother thinks that she could be sleeping with a troll every night and fears that her daughter doesn't know. And so this kind of male instinct to say, well, I gave you these instructions and now you've ruined it. And now, you know, I have to go back to being cursed, even though you had no idea. I think it unfairly places the blame on the girl when she is a victim of everything here as well. She didn't choose really to go on this quest in the beginning. It was that, you know, she had to do it for her family's sake. And now she's being blamed for trying to protect herself or keep an eye on herself. And it's kind of presented as, well, if you had just waited a little bit longer, everything would have been fine. But if you're in the situation like this, you don't know there's a time limit. You don't know what's going on. And so you have to rely on your own senses and kind of your own fear tingly like your spider-man your spidey senses to be like something's wrong here tingle (laughs) yeah i mean i'm a very curious person so i wouldn't be okay with not knowing what was going on and i would be trying to find a way from the beginning to figure out who this man was what he was doing and just his word sadly wouldn't be enough for me well they just met yeah they just met fox it'd be one thing if you came up to me and were like i can't tell you why but you need to wear this bucket over your head for the next seven days. I'd be like, done. I wouldn't question it. Yeah. But if some random person did that to me, I'd be like, who the heck are you? Why should I trust you? Yeah, and I think that's a huge issue with these kind of stories where they focus on putting the blame on the girl for being curious. It's not really their fault. (laughs) I mean, you're a stranger to them. They have no reason to trust you. And trust shouldn't just be given out willy-nilly. It shouldn't just be like, okay, I'm going to trust you because, you know, you're my husband now and I only met you two days ago. That kind of trust I don't think exists. It takes time to develop. And even if, you know, she had gone on like this for a long time and then eventually he turned into a handsome prince, I don't think the blame should be on her for maintaining his bewitching. Even though, you know, another woman bewitched him, which itself is a problem. Um, Because the whole stepmother narrative is already so, I guess, weird. The whole stepmother is trying to get you to do things or punishing you. Here it's a little bit extreme because he wants him to marry her daughter, which, weird. You know, but. Yeah. It also feels like we just missed a whole interesting story. Like, I'd be interested in the prequel to find out how he got into that situation in particular. And how he ended up with the ability to make this deal with this girl. Yeah. Like, that seems like a backstory I'm here for. We should write our own fan fiction. It's kind of like, like Jack and the Beanstalk. Remember where we were like, it was just, things were just weird. And there was no real explanation. It was just like, oh, we've been bewitched. Or, oh, we've been enchanted. But there was no real, like, this is what happened to make us enchanted. This is what happened to, like, cause all of this. Yeah. And so we're just kind of given these situations where it's like, I'm cursed. And you're like, okay, but what happened? Why are you cursed? And you're just, you don't really get an answer. At least in this story, we get a kind of answer. Because usually when someone's cursed, like with the frog prince, for example, we don't actually know why. We don't know why they were turned into an animal. We just kind of assume, okay, this is what happened. I guess we must deal with it now. I do appreciate the info dump that (laughs) the prince provides. But going back to what you said about trust, trust goes both ways. He needed to to give her some 
like trust as well like tell her something so that she knows like he's giving her a little bit i still think he needed to tell her everything but if you really was that important to you you need to give her something you can't just leave her completely in the dark like this it's ridiculous yeah or also maybe as opposed to you know keeping her in the castle by herself hang out with her a bit more during the day make yes. an effort like the beast does in beauty and the beast you know he makes a little bit of an effort to actually get to know her to have that connection with her and so she's not just following in love with she i mean in this case she fell in love with him because he was handsome let's not like sugarcoat anything yes it wasn't you also, know how did she know he was a prince i don't know maybe he sleeps with his she crown just on. Says he looked and he was a handsome prince and it's like how 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 do you know i feel like she's just like being very wishful thinking here and just somehow was right or maybe i mean he's a hot guy who's in a palace we just assume he's a prince yeah i guess (laughs) of course thor daughter was utterly devastated and cried in despair she asked if she could go with him but he told her she could not. So she begged him to tell her the way so that she may find him again. He told her she could do that, but she would never find it because his stepmother's castle was east of the sun and west of the moon. <gasps> Roll credits! There's the title! <laughs> That's the title card! That's the name of the story! Crazy! <laughs> That's where our story ends for now. Fox... This is the first half of the story. We're going to cover the second half next week. But what do you think of this so far? It's got a lot going for it right now. As someone who's read the Psyche and Eros story previously, I kind of knew what was going to happen from the beginning because the story just kind of fits the same kind of motives and themes. So I was like, okay, we, I know where this might be going. And so this first half is a little bit was a little bit predictable for me, but it was still interesting. It's the second half I'm most interested in because that's where it kind of diverges from what I've read before and it becomes its own situation, which I really like. And I'm super excited for part two because I think it ties up the entire story very well and it makes everything kind of different in a way because at the moment everything seems very similar to Beauty and the Beast and all of that. So I'm excited to see the new direction it goes into at the end. Yeah, when I read this story, it really felt like there was three acts to the whole story, mm-hmm. but we, for time constraints, we've done it into two. But I find that most fairy tales, because they're so short and just like they're very simple, they often can just be a one act thing. So I was really surprised like how much, how many details were in here. And on these classic stories, we talked about um, Psyche and Eros and Beauty and the Beast. Like we know similar tales to this, but yet this one kept surprising me. It's it's an old classic story, yet it has some really modern ideas, like, near the end. Not We don't see that ton here in this first half. It's the second half we see more of that. But we're seeing a really cute Beauty and the Beast story happen, but it's not over. Like, Beauty and the Beast kind of ends when she figures everything out. There's a little bit afterwards, but not a ton. This is, like, the beginning of the next great adventure that's about to happen, and this is only the first step on her journey, really. Yeah, and I'm super excited to see where she goes from here with her newly dubbed name, Thor Daughter. Will Thor Daughter find the castle in time? Will the prince's curse be broken? Will the girl's family ever be plot relevant again? Find out next time on Tales from the Enchanted Forest. <laughs> Before Netflix. We now watch everything weekly. <laughs> yes. But before we go, our protagonist is not the only one who is curious. During our small hibernation, some of our travelers sent us some very curious questions that we would love to answer for you. Alexandra writes in and asks, why did you choose fairy tales, folklore, and mythology? Uh, Fox, do you want to start with this one? Yes. Uh, So when we were first talking about having kind of a podcast or something where we could talk to each other more frequently... We're trying to think about what we hold in common ground and something that we both really enjoy is fairy tales because I feel like they they're kind of timeless. They connect us and we have a lot of fun watching Disney movies, I think. So Disney, please sponsor us. But I also think that we enjoy looking deeper into the stories and figuring out what the tropes are, what the motives are, what the themes are. And we've always kind of had conversations where when we're talking, we just naturally start to ask questions and try and figure out more. And so it just naturally occurred that if we were to have a podcast, what will we talk about? Well, 
this is something that we're both interested in that we would both be able to do lots of research for and hone our skills in and so that's where I think it came from for me personally yeah and we both just enjoy digging into stories in general anytime we've gone to the movies together seen a show watch or read a book and we kind of talked about it we always love just analyzing the themes and looking at characters in a way that that really just kept us asking more questions and wanting to do more research and learn more so it felt like a natural way to say let's look at something we both enjoy reading about and things that we've not always read we always are finding new fairy tales and so that's always the exciting part is that we keep bringing them to each other i remember the day i found donkey skin i like immediately texting you saying i have the next episode i know you planned it out to be something else but we need to talk about this one <laughs> it's insane um but i also just really enjoy the fact that fairy tales are something everyone's familiar with but most people are not aware of the depth that they have and i do have to say that the fairy tale and folklore community has been very very welcoming in general mm-hmm. so i'm really glad that we chose this as our kind of I guess, jumping off point, because on Twitter, on Instagram, everywhere we go, there's a huge community of people that are also interested and that are so willing and open to talking about different things and sharing their experiences. And so it's just been a very good experience overall, I think, to talk about myths and legends and have a lot of fun discussions with classics and with other professionals and also hobbyists in the industry. Let's see, what else do we got here? Uh, Daniel from the US of A asks, what do you plan for future episodes or a future direction? Mm. Well, uh, as we kind of mentioned before, we have lots of different interests and hobbies, as you might have heard us talk about before. We really love Marvel. We really love um, lots of different shows from Disney and um, other cartoons. And I'm really into video games. Uh, we've read lots of YA novels <laughs> that we could probably talk about for non-end. I would hope one day we could talk more in depth about Harry Potter. It's one of our favorite book series, for sure. And it's in a similar vein of fairy tales, too. J.K. Rowling does pull a lot from myths, folklore, and legends as well. So we're all in the same fan group, as it were. Maybe do something with uh, D&D or, I don't know, maybe we can talk about our favorite show, (laughs) Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, Fox, what do you think? I completely agree. I think looking into the lore of different books and different stories and TV shows and movies is something that I've always been interested in just because I love when I'm watching a movie and I pick something up or I go, oh my God, that trope is from this story or that, you know, that scene or these characters really are embodiments of these characters from this fairy tale. I'm one of those people that believes that story is, stories always come from similar places or they have similar influences because we all just take the same stories and we reinvent them, we rewrite them, we change things up. But at their essence and at their core, they're still the same stories. And finding out that main story, whether it's from Avatar Last Airbender or Dungeons and Dragons, and trying to figure out where the sources of things come from has always just been something I'm interested in. And so I would love to do more of that. I would love to do more on retellings and get more into the kind of on the book scene where a lot of stories do come from or are based on these little fairy tales but you have to kind of dig for them sometimes and they're not very obvious what we like to do with our five fantastic finds at the end is try and find those modern day adaptations and try and see where we can find the real world or the movie the contemporary basis for these stories and so i think turning that into a bigger podcast or a spin-off would be really cool last question here we got is from eliza darcy 67 yes yes that's what it is uh they ask do you enjoy all the fairy tale adaptations and live actions that have come out recently (laughs) what is your favorite (laughs) there are a lot that have come out a lot (laughs) oh my gosh so many i'm generally someone actually that enjoys these kind of things because i love watching the costumes Costumes for like historical Mm -hmm. pieces or fantasy stories have always been so fascinating because they're the way they look and, you know, ball gowns and big dresses and the men in those military uniforms. All of it is just what I would like to live in as is like I would like to go back (laughs) to a society where we wore big ball dresses everywhere because I mean, not that we did wear big ball dresses anywhere, but in my fantasy world, in my head, 
I get to wear like big flouncy dresses and, you know, turn my heel on my suitor and, you know, push him into a fountain or something while my maids watch. <laughs> Whatever it is. I really like, so that's my favorite part about these kind of movies is to see what direction the art takes, the cinematography takes, and honestly the costume design. Because costume design is always something that's evolving and changing. And they always do something so unique for each of the pieces that it's something that you can always look forward to, I think. Yeah, I'll agree. I really enjoy a good costume drama. The one thing I find disappointing with a lot of live action adaptations is like either take one of two routes. It's a super kid friendly, light version of the tale. So we get that really sanitized <laughs> version that doesn't have usually have a lot of depth. They try and give like more agency to the protagonist, which is often great. Um, or we get the dark, gritty horror aspect of it. Which, you know, has its own merits, but I personally do not like horror. It doesn't... I, I'm too easily freaked out. <laughs> so watching a horror movie is pretty bad. Uh, so I would really love to see more adaptations kind of walk a bit more of an in-between of seeing something that's, like, not super sanitized just for kids, but is also not leaning so heavily into the horror genre where I can't watch it because I will afraid of having nightmares and even just different styles like we really seem to only have these two styles of very light cartoon ish live action or we have horror dark horror i'd like pretty much anything in between there and see what happens like just but the problem is we take fairy tales for granted we've seen a million of one cinderellas we had one last year can we can we talk about that cinderella for just a second that 220 21 Cinderella oh my, my gosh my biggest issue with that one was that there was a whole lot of like you know finger snapping girl boss moments but end of the day I don't really feel like her character really embraced the whole I'm going to do things for myself and by myself kind of motto it just seemed like yeah. she really wanted to start her own design like her own dress business dressmaking business but then the prince was the one who, you know, bought her first dress. It wasn't that she was able to sell it. And it was, you know, the prince that helped rescue. It was still like the whole, the prince rescued her at the end. The fairy godmother rescued her. She didn't actually do much for herself, which is really frustrating because the entire premise of the movie was that this was going to be more of a female power movie. And she did have lots of moments where she was like, it felt almost like a parody to me like she was trying really yeah. hard to be like this is about womanhood and this is about feminism but feminism doesn't need to be this whole girl boss movement it could be that you know you're kind and the entire essence of cinderella for me and i think this was really well done with the cinderella that lily james was in um and that one was the one where she depended on her kindness because that was her trait and this is a problem that I keep bringing up on this podcast and when I talk to people this is a huge problem for me is that when we make female characters and we remove their femininity from them in order to make them more powerful so we remove their want to have love we remove their kindness we remove the ability for them to ask for help and we make it so that those those are non-feminist traits that if you are a female who is kind and that is your main trait that you are anti-feminist Whereas I think Cinderella, her entire thing was that she was kind to people. She was kind to the fairy godmother. She gave her a glass of water. She was kind to the mice. She was kind to the prince. And that was her her personality. That was what it was. And had this movie, I think, gone more in the direction of having her be more self-sufficient, that would have been something else. But they kind of played it up as if it was going to be about her being self-sufficient and this businesswoman... And that, um, you know, the princess would end up being the queen. But it just felt forced to me. And this is the problem, I think, is that when you try and do it to an extent and you don't commit to it fully, it, may, it makes it seem forced. Because it's like, okay, this princess who we've ignored this entire time now gets to be the queen because her brother doesn't want to be the king. It's not because, you know, she's smart, she's talented, she's actually fixed a problem. It's just, here you go. She's now the queen because someone else didn't want to be. And we have no choice but to make her the queen. Yeah, I I have some strong there feelings was a lot. about this movie. I don't, I also struggled a bit. Like, I, this sounds terrible to say, but I also was like, like I'm never a big fan of these fairy tales when they get you to sympathize too much with the villain of the story. Now, there's a lot of issues with just in general the stepmother being uh, the villain, and I think 
we've talked about the belt before. We'll probably talk about this more next episode when we deal with it. But with fairy tales, like I usually want like them to be overcoming some villain. And when they make the stepmother too sympathetic or she's secretly trying too hard to like make Cinderella a better person doing what she's doing, even though it's awful, it really becomes too jarring for me and really annoying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe make her some sympathetic. Like, do you remember a Cinderella story with Hilary Duff? Yes, one of my favorites. Because I think they did that so well. She was 100% a villain. (laughs) She was 100% a villain, but they did have a real moment with her kind of near the end. They kind of were like, had a moment where she was getting really real about some of her struggles. But then she quickly went back to just being an awful person, which I felt was a great thing. We got some sympathy for her, but we also had the fun, like, come up, come, come up. Yeah, come up. And she got what she deserved. Yeah, she got what she deserved. We got the best of both. We got a bit of sympathy. But we had a villain to overthrow, and it was just wonderful to see her just walk away from that. (laughs) And this one, when Cinderella walked away, I was like, she was actually trying to be nice. It was misguided, but she was actually thinking of you. Like, (laughs) Yeah, I think the movie tries to do too much when they try and give us, you know, a tragic villain backstory and then also heroine that needs to try and defeat her. It's just, it's too much, I think. Either... The villain needs to be more core to your story, and that's where explaining their backstory, or you give less. Like, less is more in that situation. And I think this is where a TV show is better in some ways, because in a TV show, you can explore the different elements of here's a bad guy, here's a good guy, here's their struggles, here's Mm -hmm. what they're going through. But in a movie, you only have a set amount of time. And when you have too many agendas and too many things you need to push then you need to reconsider what needs to go and what needs to be developed because if you have lots of half-developed ideas, it's not going mm-hmm. to work. And all I think it does is confuse the audience because I was a little bit confused about the role of the stepsisters. They didn't seem awful. Yeah. They seemed like they were kind of on her side, but they just didn't have enough screen time to actually develop the fact that they weren't awful. I don't know. I, I think it was a lot going on and the message was quite strange and it felt to me like it was it was a parody it did not feel like a real movie to me but also i felt like they didn't even lean enough into it being a parody for it to be a true parody like they could have gone harder into a parody mode and that could have been fun yeah i think it was uh but speaking of but speaking of running out of time (laughs) we are also running out of time and we have to get going like we said before we will be back next week to tell you the rest of this story of east of the sun and west of the moon but if you have any more questions for us, feel free to email us at talesfromtheenchantedforest at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at From Enchanted. And uh, where else can they find us? Anywhere? We're also on TikTok at Tales from the Enchanted Forest Podcast, as well as Instagram by the same name. So thank you guys so much, travelers. We'll be back soon. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. Thank you.